This is Reverend Kirk Lawton, minister at Ocean Lakes Family Campground, and this is our podcast. Our prayer is that this message may enrich your life as you find God especially meaningful to you. Thank you for worshiping with us. One day when Jesus was talking with some of his disciples, he asked them the question, Whom do men say that I am? One of the answers he received was, Some say you are Elijah. Jesus was so much like Elijah that there were some who thought he was Elijah come back to life again. It is true that the Old Testament ends with a prophecy that Elijah would return. Let me read the next to the last verse in the Old Testament. This is Malachi chapter 4, verse 5. Behold, I will send you Elijah the prophet before the coming of the great and dreadful day of the Lord. This prophet Elijah must have been some kind of man for him to be spoken of so much after his death. Our text for this morning is a portion of some of the words which were spoken by Elijah during his own lifetime. They're actually words of discouragement and despair. 1 Kings 19, uh, verse 10, chapter 19. The children of Israel have forsaken thy covenant. They have thrown down thine altars and slain the prophets with the sword. And I, even I only, am left. Those words from Elijah. But let's go back before these words and start from the beginning. As we see this grand old man of God from the pages of the Old Testament, the prophet Elijah. After the death of Amri, king of Israel, Ahab, the son of Amri, began to reign. And in 1 Kings 16, verse 30, we read, And Ahab, the son of Amri, did evil in the sight of the Lord above all that were before him. But God was not asleep to what was going on. So God sent a man from Gilead, whose name was Elijah the Tishbite, to Ahab for the purpose of speaking God's word to him. In 1 Kings 17, verse 1, we read, And as the Lord God of Israel liveth, before whom I stand, there shall not be dew nor rain these years, but according to my word. Well, what happened? Over in the New Testament, the book of James gives us the answer very briefly. James 5, 17. Elijah was a man subject to like passions as we are. And he prayed earnestly that it might not rain. And it rained not on the earth by the space of three years and six months. But during all this dry weather, God cared for his servant Elijah as he lived by a brook. The ravens which God sent brought him bread and flesh both morning and evening. Later, the brook dried up and Elijah was told to go to a town called Zarephath where he would find a widow who would care for him. I might just insert parenthetically here that this was not the last time a widow was ever cared for by, uh, ever cared for a preacher. In my first pastorate, when I was not married, for the first two and a half years. Uh, during this time, many widows in the church invited me to their homes for meals. They were caring for their preacher. 
Sometimes they also invited a niece or granddaughter or some other young girl whom they wanted me to meet. Well, I accepted those invitations. I always enjoyed the food, but I had no obligation otherwise. When Elijah reached the gates of the city of Zarephath, he saw a certain widow, and he asked her for a drink of water. As she went to get the water, he said, How about a little bread to go with that water? This seemed to upset the widow, who had been out at the edge of the city gathering sticks. She replied to Elijah, As surely as your God lives, I don't have so much as a biscuit. I have a handful of flour and a jar and a little oil in a bottle. You found me scratching together just enough firewood to make a last meal for my son and me. After we eat it, we'll die. But Elijah reassured her that she, if she would care for him, she would have enough to eat and more. Elijah said to her, don't worry about a thing. Go ahead and do what you said. But first, make a small biscuit for me and bring it back here. Then go ahead and make a meal from what's left for you and your son. This is the word of the God of Israel. The jar of flour will not run out, and the bottle of oil will not become empty before God sends rain on the land and ends this drought. Well, that was the word that Elijah told this widow, the word of God. So she did as Elijah requested. And in 1 Kings 17, verses 15 and 16, it says, It turned out, as he said, daily food for her and her family. The jar of meal did not run out, and the bottle of oil did not become empty. God's promise fulfilled to the letter, exactly as Elijah had delivered it. Now, on top of that, this was not only the blessing this widow received, her son fell sick so much that there was no breath left in him. Still read on in First Kings 17. So Elijah took the boy and carried him up to the loft where he was staying, prayed earnestly to God, and the boy was revived from death. The widow said to Elijah, I see it all now. You are a holy man. When you speak, God speaks. Now let's move forward approximately three years. Elijah had now met King Ahab. When Elijah saw, uh, when Ahab saw Elijah, he said, Are you the one who's been causing so much trouble around here? Another translation puts it another way. So it's you, you old troublemaker. Remember, there had not been rain for a long time. So Elijah gave Ahab his answer. Let me begin reading from 1 Kings 18 verse 18 and some following verses. I'm reading from uh, the message. It's not I who caused this trouble in Israel, said Elijah, but you and your government, you've dumped God's ways and commands and run off after local gods, the Baals. Here's what I want you to do, Ahab. Assemble everyone in Israel at Mount Carmel and make sure that the special pets of Jezebel, those 450 prophets of the local god, the Baals, and the 400 prophets of the horror goddess Asherah, make sure they're all there. So Ahab summoned everyone in Israel, particularly the prophets on Mount Carmel. 
Elijah challenged the people, how long are you going to sit on the fence? If God is the real God, follow him. If it's Baal, follow him. Make up your mind. Well, nobody said a word. Nobody made a move. Then Elijah said, I'm the only prophet of God left in Israel, and there are 450 prophets of Baal. Let the Baal prophets bring up uh, two oxen. Let them pick one, butcher it, lay it out on the altar on firewood, but don't ignite it. I'll take the other one, cut it up, and lay it on the wood, but neither will I light the fire. Then you pray to your gods, and I'll pray to the real God. The God who answers with fire will prove to be, in fact, God. All the people agreed. Good plan. Let's do it. Elijah told the Baal prophets, choose your ox and prepare it now. You go first. You're the majority. Then pray to your God, but don't light the fire. So they took the ox he had given them, prepared it for the altar, and they prayed to Baal. They prayed all morning long, Oh, Baal, answer us. But nothing happened, not so much as a whisper of a breeze. Desperate, they jumped and stomped on the altar they had made. By noon, Elijah had started making fun of them, taunting, Call a little bit louder. He's a god after all, isn't he? Maybe he's off meditating somewhere or other. Or maybe he's gotten involved in a project. Or maybe he's on vacation. You don't suppose he overslept, do you? Needs to be waked up. They prayed harder and louder, cutting themselves with swords and knives. That was a ritual common to them. Until they were covered with blood. This went on until well past noon. They used every religious trick and strategy they knew to make something happen on that altar, but nothing happened. Not so much as a whisper or a flicker of response. Then Elijah told the people, all right, enough of that. It's my turn. Gather around. And they gathered. Then he put the altar back together, for by now it was in ruins. Elijah took 12 stones, one for each of the tribes of Jacob, the same Jacob to whom God had said, from now on your name is Israel. He built the stones into the altar in honor of God. Then Elijah dug a fairly wide trench around the altar. He laid firewood on the altar, cut up the ox, put it on the wood and said, fill four buckets with water and drench both the ox and the firewood. Then he said, do it again. And they did it. Then he said, do it a third time. And they did it a third time. The altar was drenched and the trench around was filled with water. When it was time for the sacrifice to be offered, Elijah the prophet came up and prayed, O oh God, God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, make it known right now that you are God in Israel, that I'm your servant, that I'm doing what I'm doing under your orders. Answer me, God. Oh, answer me. And reveal to this people that you are God, the true God, and that you're giving these people another chance at repentance. Immediately, the fire of God fell and burned up the offering 
the wood, the stones, the dirt, and even the water in the trench. All the people saw it happen and fell on their faces in awe, worship, exclaiming, God is the true God. God is the true God. Elijah told them, grab the Baal prophets. Don't let one get away. So they grabbed them. Elijah had them taken down to the brook Kishon, and they were all executed. Quite a, quite a story. Now, if we were to stop the story right there, it would end with a big victory for Elijah, wouldn't it? But that's not all. As Paul Harvey would say, here's the rest of the story. Ahab told his wicked wife Jezebel about what had happened on Mount Carmel, and she became very angry. She sent a message to Elijah with her own threat. Here's what she said. The gods will get you for this, and I'll get even with you too. By this time tomorrow, you'll be as dead as any one of those prophets. 1 Kings 19, verse 2. Well, Elijah was smart enough to know this Jezebel and the power she had. He knew she was not just whistling Dixie when she made that threat on his life. So Elijah, being the smart man that he was, <laughs> started running. He ran all the way to Beersheba, which was probably a distance of about 100 miles. Here he left his servant. Then Elijah went another day's journey into the wilderness. Now, let's pick up the story right there, and let's begin uh, reading from 1 Kings chapter 19, uh, beginning with verse 4. He came to a lone broom bush and collapsed in its shade, wanting in the worst way to be done with it all, just to die. Enough of this, God. Take my life, Elijah said. I'm ready to join my ancestors in the grave. Exhausted, he fell asleep under the, the broom bush. Suddenly, an angel shook him awake and said, Get up and eat. He looked around, and to his surprise, right by his head was a loaf of bread baked on some coals and a jug of water. He ate the meal and went back to sleep. The angel of God came back, shook him awake again, and said, Get up and eat some more. You've got a long journey ahead of you. So he got up and went, uh, ate, drank his fill, set out. Nourished by that meal, he walked 40 days and 40 nights all the way to the mountain of God, to Horeb. When he got there, he crawled into a cave and went to sleep. Then the word of God came to him. So Elijah... What are you doing here? I've worked all my life. I've been working my heart out for the God of the angel armies, said Elijah. The people of Israel have abandoned your covenant, destroyed your places of worship, and murdered your prophets. I'm the only one left. They're trying to kill me. Then he was told, go stand on the mountain in attention before God. God will pass by. A hurricane wind ripped through the mountains and shattered the rocks before God. But God was not to be found in the wind. After the wind, an earthquake, but God was not in the earthquake. And after the earthquake, a fire, but God was not in the fire. And after the fire, a gentle and a quiet whisper. 
When Elijah heard the quiet voice, he muffled his face with his great cloak. He went to the mouth of the cave and just stood there. A quiet voice asked, So Elijah, now tell me, what are you doing here? Elijah said it again, I've been working my heart out for God, the God of the angel armies, because the people of Israel have abandoned your covenant, destroyed your places of worship, and murdered your prophets. I'm the only one left. Now they're trying to kill me. God said, go back the way you came through the desert to Damascus. Then God told Elijah that he had 7,000 people in Israel who had not bowed the knee to the idol god, Baal. Now there's so many lessons we can all learn from this fascinating story of the discouraged prophet Elijah. Let's look at just a few before we end. First, Elijah listened to and obeyed the word of God. Remember when he was up there on Mount Carmel in that contest with the 450 prophets of Baal, they, had, they all had their turn at bat, trying to get their idol God to call down fire and consume the sacrifice, but all to no avail. And then at the very end of the day, it was Elijah's turn. And the prayer that he prayed to God has a very significant phrase in it. Let me read again, 1 Kings 18, verse 36, this time from the King James Version of the Bible. And it came to pass at the time of the offering of the evening sacrifice that Elijah the prophet came near and said, Lord God of Abraham, Isaac, and of Israel, let it be known this day that thou art God in Israel, and that I am thy servant, and that I have done all these things at thy word. Elijah was not competing with those 450 prophets of Baal just to show how great he was. No, it was to show God's power and what he was doing was at thy word. Three significant words. God was the one who was in charge. Oh, what a lesson for us all surely should be that when we are in need of direction in our lives, we should seek the word of God before we act. Another truth we should learn from this story is that discouragement often follows victory. That was true for Elijah. How impressive it must have been when God called down that fire and consumed not only the sacrifice on the altar, but the altar itself, and then dried up all the water, 12 barrels full of water in the trench around the sacrificial altar. Wow, what a glorious victory. Not only that, but at the end of that experience, a great rain came, ending the drought that had plagued them for years. The time for us to take heed, to be cautious, and to be on our guard against the powers of Satan is when things seem to be going real well for us. The devil works the hardest when we can become complacent, thinking all is well now. We can rest in Zion. We can be at ease. There's some other examples that we could cite for that letdown feeling following victory. Think about a football team which has just won a great upset victory. That's the time to be careful. The next game they could bomb it out, bomb out, just lose everything. Or, you know, the, the feeling many people have after Christmas, after Christmas blues, it's called, called holiday depression. Those of you who have given birth to a child, your mothers, 
Some of you know what postpartum depression is all about. You remember the devil came to Jesus to tempt him just after that wonderful experience of Jesus' baptism when the voice from heaven was heard saying, this is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. That's when the devil tried to attack Jesus. We do well to remember the biblical warning, let him that thinketh he standeth take heed lest he fall, 1 Corinthians 10, 12. A final truth that we need to see is that God is our great encourager. Elijah had to learn that though the wrong seems off so strong, God is the ruler yet. Yes, God lets the devil have a lot of rope these days, but God still holds the end of it. We may often get discouraged. Like Elijah, we feel that we're the only one God has left. But the old gospel song says it very well. Trials dark on every hand and we cannot understand all the ways that God would lead us to that blessed promised land. But he'll guide us with his eye and we'll follow till we die. We'll understand it better by and by. Oft our cherished plans have failed, disappointments have prevailed, and we've wandered, wandered in the darkness, heavy-hearted and alone. But we're trusting in the Lord, and according to His Word, we'll understand it better by and by. Not here and now, by and by. You know the word enthusiasm? You know what that word really means? We think of it as a joyful spirit, ready to face whatever comes, full of energy and vitality. But the real meaning of the word enthusiasm is deeper. You know that the Greek word for God is theos. That's where we get our word theology, study of God. So when you put en in front of that, what you get is en theos or en God or enthusiasm. In God, all is different when we have our life centered in God. Elijah learned that, and he knew that God was the one who would encourage him. He went through a long time getting to understand that, but it came as a reassuring word to Elijah from God. May that be the case with you, with me, with all of us, to know that God is right there. He will encourage us when we are discouraged. Lord, thank you for being there just when we need you most. We can't understand how you're so good to us, but help us to have faith in you and trust you to know that you're working in everything for the good for those who love you. This we pray in the name of Jesus, your Son, our Savior. Amen.